politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and our existence as sentient human beings. It is all on the line here July 7th, Friday at Blaze Media. Daniel Horowitz, your host back here. If you haven't given us a five-star rating on iTunes, I'd really appreciate it because we don't have time for the soap opera. We don't have time for the, this other... Uh, fat and calories of other shows, but, you know, non-healthy fats and garbage because everything really is on the line. Yuval Harari said a while back, he's the WEF guy, what do we need humans for? At the moment, our best solution is to keep them happy with drugs and computer games. And that basically sums up, when you look at the scope of our problems, the magnitude of the problems that humanity is facing, not just Americans, but all humanity, juxtaposed to the sense of urgency from even those who claim to recognize and acknowledge those problems, we we don't see that sense of urgency. You know, today is the anniversary, July 7th, 1942, when Himmler began his experiments in Auschwitz, uh, medical experiments on the Jewish prisoners, And I'm thinking, you have a greater experiment that just took place. And this is just one issue. A greater experiment that just took place, aside from all the people dying from the shots, we now have ubiquitous birth rate decline. And I don't just mean the two-generational long decline, the gradual decline, but you're talking about Six Sigma, Seven Sigma, you know, multiple standard of deviations over from what's normal since the rollout of the shots. What more would you do if you are trying to sterilize a population and literally get rid of human beings? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. What more would you do? You you, you give people a therapeutic that, that makes... You know, let, let's say it's, I'm making it up, but let's say it's 5%, but the whole world was given the shot. That's insane. Then you cut off all forms of energy. You cut off some of the energy that's needed to produce the food to feed those people. You convince half the generation that they're not normal heterosexual human beings and they're this and that, some sort of ideologically driven sexual identity that can't procreate. Then you make the other half of them depressed as anything. They can't function. And then the people that can, you have a centrally planned economy, thanks to the fiscal and monetary policies and regulatory policies of this government, mixed all together to create a scenario where you can never earn enough money to pay for housing, healthcare, education, Food, you name it, but particularly housing. See, interest rates went up to 7.2% yesterday, mortgage rates, that is. You put together, again, the physical stuff, the economic stuff, life, liberty, property. It is under assault a million times greater than it was in 1776. And we're still focused on the eighth line of this clause of the Constitution, when the Constitution's dead. 
But the spirit of the Declaration, as I noted earlier this week, as we celebrate the Declaration this week, Independence Day, that does live on. Our birthright, as sentient beings created in the image of God, still lives on. So I want to go through just some of the latest on the vaccine stuff, the physical stuff, move over to some of the economic stuff, kind of you know, free-for-all Friday here, just to sum up a lot of the news we didn't get to. But again, that sense of urgency, when God called on Jeremiah, first time comes to him in, in uh, first chapter of Jeremiah, talks about a rod of almonds, and uses the word almonds, a play on word for haste, because they are harvested, they grow hastily. I'm going to hasten the punishment upon the Jews, upon the Israelites, and exhorting him to preach to the entire generation the need to repent. And yet here we are, you don't even need to see a vision, a prophecy, we're living it, and there still is no sense of urgency. And I think that's the second half of what Yuval Harari said. That while they're going to reduce the human population, they'll keep them happy with drugs and computer games. And it's not just that. I mean, even if you're not into that, it's just all sorts of other distractions. But we're not going to get distracted. Republicans had two leverage points, mainly. There's a few more. But the debt ceiling deal, or the debt ceiling, and the budget bills, the appropriation bills. And they blew the debt bill. And no one cared. Do you know that the debt is now up $935 billion, almost a trillion, in a month? What a joke. But now we have the appropriation bills. And imagine if you had a unified movement and party that would draw a line in the sand as they come back next week, both in terms of the appropriation bills, and also I would say the defense authorization bill. The NDAA is going to be up for a bill uh, for a vote in the House. I'm going to put out a list of amendments that I think should be passed to it. But you look at in totality the things the government's doing, and and, and again the things that I'm going to offer, <clears throat> I will admit they're small ball. They're dealing more with the policy endpoints of a lot of the civilization harm. You know, I mean, I'm not even getting to a civilization that doesn't even want to procreate, that's half depressed, half on drugs, sick as anything, we're sicker than anything physically, spiritually, mentally, marriages in the toilet, procreation. I mean, all of it. We're not even talking about that. But at least some of the endpoints of these policies. Number one, obviously, ending, you know, if McCarthy would say, here are our bills, here's what we're doing, and every single day, hold press conferences, hold endless speeches on the House floor and find creative ways to captivate public attention, ending all funding for the COVID vaccine mandates, starting a commission on vaccines, things like that. Number two, the Green New Deal, the war on energy, the war on prosperity, the war on the middle class living. You know, these are just broad topics, but there's a lot of things under that. Three is the weaponization of government targeting, persecuting, spying, censoring, against the American people. Four, the tranny agenda. Five, the catch and release at the border, the border invasion. Six, ending the Ukraine scam, pay for play. There's so much fodder in there. It's, it's so bizarre how Republicans will talk about, oh, it's terrible, you know, Joe Biden took a bribe. 
and uh, he's corrupt. Well, where was that bribe? The bribe was for Ukrainian interests. But somehow they won't question the unlimited money we're putting out. They're about to give them thousands of cluster bombs to go deeper into Russian territory that even if your goal is to defeat Russia, it's not going to be enough to ever come close to defeating them, just be enough to tick them off even more and prolong an unwinnable war for them. No, I mean, I mean, none of this is being rectified. And then seven, ending all race and DEI curriculum in schools. These are just seven issues. There's a few more you could put out. But just those seven, lay the marker in the sand. This is what we're doing. And they all pull very, very, very well. So this is what needs to happen. This is where our attention needs to be focused. So let's start off with the, the vaccine stuff. Again, imagine if rather than a concentration camp, you have the entire world that you're able to sterilize. This is not funny anymore. Even the, the, the media, by the way, is admitting this. They're just saying silly things like it's climate change causing it. But the fact that we are experiencing precipitous, unnatural declines in birth rates the last two years over and beyond the gradual decline is now settled. You can't deny it. So there was this news about Australia that that they're suffering a baby drought nearing historic lows, 1.7 per person. And Igor Chudov has a great piece at a substack Birth rates dropped 15% compared to last year. No, I'm sorry, compared to 2021 in 2022. 15%. That, that, you know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, people don't want to have babies anymore. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 experiences, that experience is what we've seen the last two generations. It's a gradual thing. You don't find that in one year. And he notes that Australia's news.com, uh, they have an article up literally saying concerns about housing, cost of living, and climate change is why young people aren't having babies. Now, yeah, I mean, obviously the economic stuff is insane, but that doesn't explain the one-year business. So they have now noticed that we're noticing, so they're saying, oh, it's all a hoax. And he notes Australia is not alone. You look at Sweden. The birth rates are, are, are go down from 2021 to 2022 to 2023. He, he goes through the first quarter of the last three years, and each one is much less than the previous year. And remember, Sweden didn't have the lockdowns, okay? But they did have a high rate of vaccination. So you can't blame it really on the lockdowns either. This is not funny. This is the greatest genocide that has ever been committed in, in the world. It is that much we can say. From here on out, it will only get worse. Meaning the data could only get worse as the long-term effects of, of both the plummeting birth rates of infertility and the death rates of the lingering side effects from the shots accrue. But what, it has, what we can already confirm has happened is worse than ever before. And they're literally just beginning. 
I want to get to this. Federal officials hatch a three-pronged defense against another triple-demic. They're open, open, openly saying what I promised, that they will force on everyone flu, COVID, and RSV shots for the fall. What is the plan to stop that? First, our sponsor today, very appropriately, you know, the, the more we learn that we're being lied to, that so many products have caused so much harm because of regulatory capture. So just like what you eat inflames your body, what you put on your skin as soap inflames your body. I have sensitive skin. So, you know, we started out promoting QP goat soap from Quinn Pittman, a 16-year-old entrepreneur in Florida, Christian homeschooling family, makes his own goat soap. And we, we were doing this for, for parallel economies. You know, why support the woke Zest and Dove companies? They're horrible, by the way. But the more I've learned about this stuff, the, 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 their soap is like the equivalent of junk food for soap. Whereas the QP goat soap, they're now branching out. They have shaving soap and detergent in addition to bath soap and shampoo, different scents, all sorts of great scents for uh, men and women. Uh, you know, there's the, the lime collection, raspberry lime, cedarwood lime, tropical coconut. It smells great. really smells great. It's almost like a freshener for your bathroom. Um, they have uh, really, really good scents. And it's also good. The shaving soap is great because I always break out um, after, after I shave. Very sensitive skin. So if you want to get a year supply for pretty cheap, go to qpgoatsoap.com. Use promo code Daniel for 10% off your total order. Supporting one of our own, supporting Parallel Economies, a 16-year-old entrepreneur, and actually, you know, really, really healthy, all natural ingredients. Um, very, very impressive. We are proud to support them at qpgoatsoap.com. Offer code Daniel. So the New York Times, they have an article out. To prevent a repeat of last winter's triple-demic of respiratory illnesses, Americans will be encouraged to roll up their sleeves, not just for flu shots, but for two other vaccines, one of them entirely new, meaning RSV. Now, it's lost on them. The reason we have more respiratory illnesses is because of the vaccines. It's a vicious cycle. And and this is what it is. We talk about the food and and all the inflammation. It's an amazing market. Big healthcare creates the problem and then creates an economy off the solution, which creates more problems. And it's a vicious degenerative cycle to the point that despite the fact that alongside that, we are, you know, with biotech surgeries, you know, it's, it's confusing because there are elements. Obviously, human progress inevitably grows over time based on learned experiences and technolo- technological changes. But we're, but despite that, we are reversing life expectancy, and I think a lot of it is because of this. You know, vaccines is one part of it. But they are dead serious. After everything we know about the problem with particularly respiratory viral vaccines, they are pushing all three, and Republicans won't even defund the COVID shots, despite everything we know. It's unreal. They are going to bomb all of your parents their doctor, the pharmacist, is going to say, are you up on your flu shot, your RSV shot, your COVID shot? See, right now, the take-up is, is, is very little. But what they're going to do come fall, they're going to treat it like, if you, if, if you go up to someone in a vacuum, unless they're just totally, like, nuts, and say, oh, it's time for another COVID shot, they're like, what are, what are you talking about? I mean, even if they're not educated on the harms of it, you know, like, why do I need that? 
But if you come in the fall and say, oh, you know, but now it's endemic of the winter, that's a different story. And, you know, you're getting a flu shot, right? So you're going to get this too. So this is insane. The New York Times is beginning to gaslight and promote this. After everything we know, they're continuing this. And by the way, like, just so you understand what this is, original antigenic sin, when you continuously juice someone up for an ever-evolving strain of a respiratory virus, you actually get the body to respond inappropriately with negative efficacy. There's an interesting Japanese study that came out last week titled Impact of Imprinted Immunity Induced by mRNA Vaccination in an Experimental Animal Model. So they found in animals, this is in the Journal of Infectious Diseases, the concept of imprinted immunity suggests that individuals vaccinated with ancestral virus-based vaccines may not develop effective immunity against newly emerging uh, subvariants. And they found is the more you chase the Omicron variants, the more you get negative efficacy. So now magnify that by the flu and RSV. And by the way, their own data showed in animal studies for the RSV shots that it lowered the immunity when it was given together with the flu shot. And they're given at the same time. They openly said this is a problem. Nobody in the, in the ASIP and Verbach committee hearings disputed that point. They're like, but we need to do it anyway. Next data point I wanted to get to. This from our friends at... Um, Daily Skeptic, Dr. Ayal Shahar, Professor Emeritus of Public Health at University of Arizona, he has a piece revealing the lies of all the vaccine efficacy studies. Now, it's not the only way, but it's an important way they lie. So basically, he takes this Israeli study that shows an 85% benefit of the Pfizer shots against death, uh, you know, death in uh, nursing homes in Israel. So they had 43,000 vaccinated in the nursing homes and just 4,000 non-vaccinated. Now, that's going to be important when you have such a lopsided number, just a small amount not vaccinated. Who are those people? And what he found was it showed, so it showed an amazing mortality benefit with COVID, but it also showed three times greater risk of death from non-COVID causes among the unvaccinated. It's like, wait a minute. Nobody's suggesting that the COVID shots, you know, it's the opposite. It's creating all sorts of other non-COVID deaths, but they're saying it it, it saves you from other things, but it, but it doesn't. No one says that. And what he shows is that it's a long, very long piece because he wanted to do a thorough job and it's beyond the scope of the show, but it was a very important article. Again, you can look it up, uh, Daily Skeptic, Dr. E-Y-A-L and Shahar, S-H-A-H-A-R, and he, he basically demonstrates how they make the, the control group the sickest people, like, about to die. That's what they do. And then that's how they show benefit. But he actually adjusted it. It's very interesting. He adjusted for the, that confounder. And if you would even out the health patterns, you would actually have negative efficacy or zero efficacy. So that's just just a very interesting trick that they'll do, and they'll always play games. And the same thing you're seeing with the economic numbers coming out. You know, everyone knows the economy is in the toilet, and they're like, "Oh, it's the greatest employment, greatest wages, greatest this." You know, GDP. 
they, they just lie. They utterly lie. Obviously, another very important story on this front before we move on to other issues. Well, two more items. Uh, Peter McCullough and Harvey Risch tried to post uh, on on the Lancet's, not their peer-reviewed because it wasn't peer-reviewed, but their preprint page of preprint non-peer-reviewed studies. And they, they looked at basically a cohort of what was it? Um, 325 autopsy case studies where people have done autopsies and have written about it. Uh, 44 papers, 44 papers worth that contained 325 people that had autopsies conducted on them who died shortly after the vaccine. Just okay, just take people, they kind of died, died suddenly, died suddenly. Um, there, I'm trying to think where it was, the methodology, and I'm just looking up here, the number, yes, it was the mean time, if you take all cases, the mean time from vaccination to death was 14.3 days. Okay, so, so you know, people who died within two weeks of the shot, and shockingly, 74% were independently adjudicated as directly due to or significantly contribute to by the COVID shots. So again, not everyone who dies suddenly nowadays suddenly is from the shots, right? People, there's a baseline of people who die suddenly and, and really at all ages, and it's always been that way. But of, of people that, among people that died suddenly, again, this is not a scientific universal survey of an entire world, but this is what we can get our hands on. You know, they're all, you know, CDC just put out, no, nobody has ever died. Not a single person has been proven to have died from mRNA shot and only nine people died from J and J. So they blame it on J and J. It's the funniest thing. Um, because they say you need autopsies, and to this day they refuse to do autopsies. I'm sure they've done them, but they won't publish it. So now you have people that have done it, and they found 74% of those case studies um, were clearly contributed. And and again, what were the top things? Obviously, as we would expect, 53% of those deaths were cardiovascular. Next was 17% were hematological. That's the, all the blood disorders. Respiratory is number three, as you would expect, is eight, and multi-organ system failure at seven. Um, three or more organ systems were affected in 21 of the cases. They write the consistency seen among cases in this review with known COVID-19 vaccine adverse events, their mechanisms and related excess death, coupled with autopsy confirmation and physician-led death adjudication suggests there's a high likelihood of causal link between COVID-19 vaccines, and death in most cases. Criteria of causality from an epidemiological perspective have been met, including biological plausibility, temporal association, internal and external validity, coherence, analogy, and reproductibility with each successive report of death after COVID-19 vaccination. That was their report, and then within 24 hours of people promoting it, The Lancet, of course, took it down. Um, You know, so... This is the world we live in now. Again, you tell me how this is different from Himmler. It's different in the respect. It would be as if Hitler got control of the entire world and had the motivation 
to do what they did in Auschwitz to do it everywhere. And it's still going on. And despite everything we know, we are not closer than we were about 12 months ago to getting House Republicans to venture into this with the investigatory authority, with appropriations authority, with anything. There's one more thing here. ONS, this is the UK's Office of National Statistics, for week 25 of the year, so this is in June, more deaths were registered in the first 25 weeks of 2023 than in either 2021 or 2022. That is astounding. 2021 is when you would expect the most COVID deaths. There were more deaths in the UK. You have a once in a hundred year pandemic. Okay? And and more people died in the UK in roughly the first half of this year than either the same period of time in the previous two years. So there were 296,000 deaths in 2021. 279 in 2022 and 300 in 2020 in, in year 3000 in, in uh, 2023. You go to Australia. So far in 2023, cardiac deaths in Australia, excluding ischemic heart disease. So this is going to be like your sudden stuff. Cardiac deaths are 17% higher than baseline levels even though deaths from pneumonia are back to normal levels. Dementia deaths are also much higher. So dementia is going to be the residual effect of all these elderly people just indefinitely, you know, some of them until pretty recently, just staying locked down for two-plus years. But the cardiac stuff, we know exactly where that's coming from. And the fact that pulmonary is back to normal means that really there's no more COVID deaths as we would expect because what what COVID you do have is is really, you know, has morphed into an endemic cold. So again, we have this pawpaw reauthorization, the Pandemic and Hazard um, Preparedness Act that has all the authorities for this Joseph Mengele. It, if, you, if Congress doesn't reauthorize it, it goes away by October 1st. BARDA, that entire agency is gone. Okay? That is like your your Himmler, Joseph Mengele agency of the federal government. That is gone. But there's a draft bill. Senate Republicans on the Senate Health and Education Labor Pension Committee work together with Bernie Sanders, who's the Democrat chairman. The ranking member is Bill Cassidy, the worst rhino from a deep red state of Louisiana indistinguishable from Bernie. Their only disagreement was how much to force the companies to make the vaccines more affordable, not about the underlying genocide behind them. And it reauthorizes all of it. It actually makes it even easier. Dr. Merrill Nass last week talked about these vouchers that they have. um, They pay more money that they got from taxpayer subsidies, literally. 
and all the profit they gained off of mandates and everything. So they easily have the money it takes. I forget how much money it is to go through an expedited review to expedite the approval. So they, it gives them even more of these vouchers to do that. All of this needs to be shut down rather than expanded. So this is another action item from House Republicans in addition to the defense authorization bill, in addition to the appropriation bills, this pawpaw thing. Now, I do just want to talk about the NDAA very briefly. Um, there's there's an, an, there's about 1,500 amendments filed to it. It's, it passed out of committee. It's going to be considered by the House. We need to make sure that there are certain amendments that come up for a vote. And among them, I'm going to do a I, I I went through I went through all fourteen fifteen hundred of them, and you know came out with a couple dozen that are worth promoting. We have to make sure we get an up or down vote on them, and that they vote properly, and they cover the global warming stuff within the military, the DEI, the tranny stuff, the racism stuff, the Ukraine stuff, the COVID fascism in the military. Kind of each of those different buckets are are covered there, but there's one important thing I want to note is an amendment from Warren Davidson. This is from Wire.com, and this is on the surveillance state. House Republicans may. Um, want to amend the bill to abolish the government practice of buying information on Americans that the country's highest court has said police need a warrant to seize. So anything that that the government would need a warrant to get directly from, they can't buy from pri- private vendors because that's what they're doing. And by the way, a lot of these private vendors, they're not even a fit. Even if they are private, the, the collusion is insane. But a lot of them are literally set up by the by the CIA from from day one. Um, if if they weren't co-opted from day two. So they literally per, just spy on us like anything. Um, and it's a handful of lawmakers, but it is bipartisan, actually. Uh, Warren Davidson, but along with Sarah Jacobs, uh, leftist from California. And it's seeking stronger warrant requ- requirements for the surveillance data constantly accumulated by people's cell phones. They argue that it shouldn't matter whether a company is willing to accept payment for the government in lieu of the judge's permission, right? Just just the fact that the companies will accept payment for it doesn't mean our government should be able to get it. So this is a very important thing. It aims to bolster focus specifically on people's web browsing and internet search history along with GPS coordinates and other location information derived primarily from cell phones. Further encapsulates Fourth Amendment protection information that would bar law enforcement agencies of all levels of jurisdiction from exchanging anything of value for information about people that would typically require a warrant, court order, or subpoena under law. So all that stuff that they're tracking on you, this is a very, very important amendment. Um, so... Warren Davidson is absolutely correct on this. And, you know, it's something that you should definitely call your members of, of Congress about because this is this is a really, really big deal. All right, so let's go on to, I'm just looking here. 
economy. Economy. So they accumulated $935 billion more in debt. Do, do you understand that if we flushed the money down the toilet, we'd be better off? But instead, it's going to basically distort our economy, pick winners and losers, create insane degrees of inflation, and then basically pay so many people not to work. You know, there's an interesting census report I wanted to share with you. And and it's the scope of the civilization, the economic and the social market distortions of life. It it encapsulates it. Basically, the census, every five years or so, they put out a report quantifying how many federal funds were distributed in whole or in part using census program data. So it's it's not even the full scope of how much the government subsidizes and and shovels money into the states and the economy and private businesses and, and, and individuals. But it's a big chunk of it. It, because it's how, how many times the census data was pinged to use it. So, I mean, it, the, the methodology is kind of random, but it's just one way of quantifying the sheer magnitude of the Fourth Reich and how our civilization and economy has changed since COVID. So, the last time they did the report, it's like every five years. So, they did it for 2015, and then they did it for 2020. So the, the data is always takes a few years. It's all old data, but it's old. 2020, of course, was the COVID year. For 2015, now, I want to go to back to 2015. That was the last year of Obama. I mean, we were going crazy the first year of Obama, the degree of spending and dependency and, you know, the free phones. Remember, I mean, what was the, what was the theme of Obama's administration? Spending, subsidies, stimulus, picking winners and losers, Obama phones, free stuff, free stuff. That, that was kind of the, you know, that, that led to the rise of the Tea Party. So this is the last year of Obama. Last year of Obama. And what do we have here? $675 billion in federal funds were distributed using census data. Okay. In the year, are you ready? I'm sorry, it's not 2020, I was wrong. 2021, 2021. So it's not even the worst year, second to worst year. 2020 was probably worse. 2.8 trillion was distributed. Now more than that was, but, but, but this was using the census. I just want you to quantify that. 353 assistance listings, like programs, Covering 2.8 trillion. So that's more than four times what it was in Obama's final year. Now, for this year, 2023, it's not gonna, I'm sure it's come down off that peak, but the point is the baseline is way higher. So you cannot quantify the inflationary effects, the market distorting effects. The social effects. We don't have a normal economy. We have a planned fake economy. Everything is fake. You know, they come out with the jobs numbers. So, 
they say 209,000 jobs were created in June. So first of all, they had to revise down 100,000 worth from the previous two months. So that cuts out half of it, half of the net benefit. And every month this year, they have to revise down. So that will wind up being revised down. But more than half of those 209, 120,000 were from government and healthcare, about 60 apiece. And healthcare is essentially government because healthcare is completely distorted. I mean, again, what's the market of healthcare that uh, it's sick care? That they literally get you sick and the government sponsors it and then you have to pay to deal with that. So yeah, it's no it's no shock. See, when I want to look at economic health, I don't want to I don't want to look at it, the healthcare sector because that's a joke. Yeah, believe me. <laughs> there's always going to be a need for that. That's always going to grow. Between the physical stuff they're doing to us and the just the insane way we pay for healthcare, it's all government run, government distorted. So you take that out, there's not much left. Also, many of the jobs appear to be the same people taking second jobs, meaning not new job, new individuals re-entering, but the same people. So what that tells me is is people scrambling for second odd-end jobs to deal with the cost of living. 60.2% of the population is working. It was as high as 63% before the Great Recession in 2008. That, that, and that's a big, big decline because that's, that's the entire population. It's a lot of people. It's millions of people. Labor force participation rate is steady at 62.6%. Um, it is. Uh, it was much higher pre-Great Recession. So we have never recovered to pre-COVID levels, much less pre-Great Recession. Now, buried inside of these employment numbers is an interesting point. Um, Frog Capital is a guy on Twitter. He's an economist in Florida. He made an important point that productivity per hour is going down. So typically when you have you know fewer people in a, in a labor force, they pick up the slack and they have more productivity. But now you have, we have so much input for so little output. What does that lead to? Scarcity of stuff. What does that equal? Another driver of inflation, aside from everything else. So that's another that's another point here. Obviously, there's so many people that are out of the labor force, so the unemployment, you know, it used to be even when the economy was good, you'd have four, five, six percent. We've never had such low, you know, three point six. I mean, you want to tell me the economy is not that bad, it's fine, but you're, you're gonna tell me where the level of like the highest levels of employment in the 60s, 3.6% like forever, it doesn't make any sense anymore. But it's also the fact that the productivity is so down. And this is what I want to hone in on. The productivity is down because we now have a centrally planned, managed economy that's not built upon prudence and efficiency and what makes sense. It's built on insanity. Think about the COVID shots. Like, we're, we're doing this because of a fake science. The government gaslights a fake thing with money, re- subsidies, regulatory authority, and then just straight up monopolizing the public square to put out misinformation so it gets everyone into something that they would never otherwise get into. Half the labor force is geared towards DEI, affirmative action hiring, stupidity, and the government 
as represented by all that printed money keeps it afloat. So again, it's an interesting thing. When government spends that much money, so yeah, it drives up the treasuries, which drives up you know, the inflation, the, the interest rate more, which makes it even harder to service the debt and prints more money. That in itself creates inflation. But also, when you pay the companies to do stupid things that would not be kept afloat in a free market, it creates an efficiency and lack of productivity. We don't build anything anymore, so less stuff is created. So again, you have more money chasing fewer goods. That's literally what our economy is. The government creates more money chasing fewer goods because they make a retarded, inefficient economy in multiple ways, and then uh, certainly the regulatory you know, regulatory headwinds against things that need to be produced, regulatory tailwinds for things that shouldn't and would never be produced without those tailwinds. And that's where we are. And let me give you an example of this economic inefficiency. Trump is out in Council Bluffs, Iowa today, slamming DeSantis for opposing the ethanol mandate. I, I mean, this is what this piece of crap is supporting? The ethanol, that, that's like the COVID vaccine mandate equivalent of energy. To force you to purchase and refi- independent refiners that employ blue-collar workers that are going bankrupt because of this, to, to put garbage that gives you fewer gas miles and raises the cost of food at a time like this. And, and he, he, he calls himself a populist? Destroy blue-collar jobs, promote Agenda 2030, make the cost of food and fuel more, and literally, now, we've come full circle. It was promoted by the environmentalists. This is a Bush-era policy, started in the Energy Policy Acts of 2005-2007, and he wants to grow it rather than repealing it, and he's hitting DeSantis on it um, because DeSantis, you know, had I think the reason he's doing it, because when he was in Congress, he was one of the leaders in trying to get it repealed. I, I, I hope I'm, I, I apologize if I'm not recalling properly my memory, but I remember I want to say, I don't know, maybe around 2015. I remember having a conversation with DeSantis when he was in Congress and it, it was the form of an amendment to some other bill. It was an amendment to repeal the the renewable fuel standard. And he told me that he had problems because CBO scored it as a net revenue loss. In other words, it's going to add to the deficit. Well, you'll be like, well, how does that add to the deficit? Well, it adds to the deficit because government gets less tax revenue on the gas taxes. Okay. Well, why would they get less gas tax revenue? Here's what CBO said. It was so obvious to them that the more ethanol you put in, the more it screws up your fuel economy because it's like putting garbage in it. The more often you're going to have to go fill up, the more they get to screw you and get the gas tax revenue. So if you repeal the RFS then you have unvarnished, pure, 
good old American fuel in your tank, you'll go to the pump less often, and there's less gas tax revenue. So they score that as a net deficit increase because there's less revenue coming in from gas tax revenue. It's unbelievable. I'm pretty sure, I mean, if my memory is serving me, I believe it was DeSantis who told me that uh, a number of years ago. So Trump is now hitting him on this. And again, it's killing independent refiners, losing blue-collar jobs. A bunch of um, oil refineries in Pennsylvania went out of business because of the RFS. But he's a great populist, yeah. Nothing says populism like that. Another great example of this inefficiency that we're, we're talking about This is from our friends at the Institute for Energy Research. Ford receives a sweet deal from Biden to build three battery factories. So again, just like healthcare, if the government dumps in endless funds, mandates, regulated, so you could create jobs. That's the thing. It's like the GDP numbers aren't terrible and the job numbers in some ways are kind of good. You could continue to have that. But that is perpetually a fake economy. And what do you get for that? A decrepit standard of living. So basically Ford alone, just the Ford one company, is going to receive $9.2 billion in loans for three battery plants in the South, which are below... Below market, so you know interest rates are very high. You want to go purchase a car, you are going to have to pay. I don't even know what the car interest rates are, but whatever it is, your monthly car payments have doubled from three years ago. But for to build this, see, it is completely unsustainable. But the government makes it sustainable enough to be unsustainable. If you, meaning, it's not going to be affordable. But it's enough that they could keep the racket going, continue to misallocate resources away from gas-powered normal cars to this, make it expensive, but make it enough that, well, jobs are created with EVs. But the point is that, and states are pouring in billions of dollars, into the, including red states, into this garbage too, providing low-interest financing. And it's insane. Kentucky and Tennessee are adding $2.7 billion for three factories for Ford. Kentucky and Tennessee are so, both red states. I know you have a governor that's a Democrat in Kentucky, but supermajority legislature. So Republicans are completely bought in to the next COVID, which is already happening, which is the green shutdown. The green shutdown of our standard of living. And again, that's what they want. You know, I look at myself. The few people, like myself, I got married at 23, and I had, you know, a few kids within the subsequent years. And I look back to where I am now, and I thought it was pretty expensive back then relative to my parents' time, and it definitely was. But you look at even, you push me back like 15 years. And say, get married, have four kids, find a house and two cars. Typical middle class American dream. There's no way I could have done it. 
there is no way. So the few people that are sane enough and uh, dare, dare, dare I say heterosexual enough to get married and start a family and aren't sterilized and aren't depressed. So you can't. How does someone right now pay for two cars and a home? How do you do that? How do you do that? My monthly payments on my cars were like like three fifty. My monthly payments on my home started out like fifteen eighty or something, and that includes tax and taxes and insurance. Now I'm up to two thousand just because even though I'm locked in, but not on taxes and insurance because of the insane price inflation of houses created by the Federal Reserve and the regulatory state on on the supply side. But now you're talking about you're well into the three thousands. If you if you you know your 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 pity payments, principal interest, taxes, and insurance. That's what they want. It's done by design. It's a centrally planned economy designed to do just that. Designed to box you out from the American dream. So that's what they're doing. And by the way, Ford is cutting more jobs. So they're laying off a bunch of people because, and it's not just blue collar. They laid off about um, 3,000 white collar contract employees. And the reason is because they're transitioning to EVs. All of that is kept afloat by the government. So you don't need all those people. Now, I am all fine with economic efficiency, creative destruction. I mean, that's what happens. You, you, you went to machines, so you had less manual labor. But not if it's driven by the government. Something so unnatural. So we have a fake economy that is designed to support a ruling class and everyone else is screwed. And again, we're not just talking about people that are on welfare. We're talking about anyone who graduates or whatever, you know, in their 20s, gets a decent job. Unless they are really earning a ton of money, an unusually high-paying job. And even if you have a really good job, I mean, but it's all relative because, you know, few people are going to be at the top of their ladder in the 20s, right? You start out and you... You know, you get to the top of the chain in your 40s and 50s, not in your 20s. How much money already could you be earning from a normal job in your 20s? I don't know. Let's say, let's say you go into finance. You want to become a financial analyst, financial planner. I'm just picking one sector. At a college in your 20s. I'm not even talking about student loans. Let's just even put that aside. Let's say you don't have any. How do you afford the necessities of life and build a family? How do you do that? And the answer is they don't want you to. Education, healthcare, housing, food, cars, they want to make it. You cannot 
live the American dream. And it all gets back. It's not a matter of economy. That's another way they control your body. If they didn't get you with the clot shots, if they don't get you with the the health problems, they'll get you economically. And, you know, in the past, you had debates over Keynesian economics versus Austrian economics. That's not what this is. These people don't genuinely think that this is the best economic model. It used to be the typical Democrat was like, they cared about the, at least claimed to care about the poor and whatever, the middle class, and I'm going to help you. And they just said the way to do it is kind of subsidizing everything and creating dependency. Here they openly, openly want you to fail. This is a winning message. Again, these seven things. We didn't get to all of them today. But between some of these reauthorization bills, the NDAA, and the budget bill, this is the time that a sane movement would stay focused on, again, the biomedical security state and the vaccine mandates, the Green New Deal, weaponization of government, spying and censorship and targeting, the training stuff, the border, Ukraine, and the racism and DEI curriculum in the schools. This is just a smattering of what they're doing to society, civilization, the economy, our life, liberty, property. It's all on the line. Where is the vision? Too many of my colleagues... Are, see, see, the problem is my colleagues are part of it because they, a lot of them, they found a way to monetize. Somehow, you, you, know, you get a couple hundred thousand viewers, subscribers to your thing. You can earn a lot of money. And the, you know they're fine. And they could just earn a living focusing on the soap opera, tiptoeing around Trump because you don't want to... Because the bottom line is none of this changes if he gets the nomination. And the reason it doesn't change is not just because he will lose the general election and even if he wins, you know, we've cited chapter and verse why you'll actually have negative efficacy because the left will be able to control him even more and sabotage and he'll self-sabotage, but also because we won't change this trend of having states like Tennessee and Kentucky run by Republicans that support this garbage, like the green energy stuff. Because you'll continue to have this false dichotomy of candidates that are either McConnell or a Trump wannabe and not a serious individual that's based in reality, is smart enough to articulate these positions and implement it. That's where DeSantis matters more, more than himself, is being the paradigm of this is what a Republican needs to be. See, with Trump, you just wind up getting all these pretends, and in most cases, he's endorsing, I mean, literally, Kentucky's Republican gubernatorial nominee is a McConnell accolade. But anyway, we packed in a lot in, in what was a relatively short week. I really need you guys to help elevate this show above all others. And it helps with the algorithm. If you leave a, a, a review with a five-star rating on iTunes, in particular, more than the other ones, before they cut us off, really appreciate your support. If you have any comments on the discussion today, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email, as always. Hope you guys have a terrific family-oriented weekend. Till Monday, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.